0: Well, just over five years ago, as I've been saying, when the church began, we spent our first four Sundays working through some of the most foundational truths in the New Testament. We talked back then about the gospel, the church, and the mission of the church. And five years in, we've returned to those themes, again, to remind us of where we've been and to reaffirm our commitment to those same core beliefs. And so far, we've talked about two things, two main questions. What is the gospel and what is the church? For a study of the gospel, we looked at the simplest and most direct explanation of the gospel in the Bible. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 through 5. Maybe you can remember it by now. Paul says to the Corinthians, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that Christ was buried, that Christ was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that Christ appeared first to Peter, then to the twelve, then to many more. In short, the gospel is the good news that God has come to our rescue through his son, Jesus, who died on the cross as our substitute and was raised victorious as Lord and Savior. And for the last two sermons, we focused on the church, the question, what is the church? And what we did is we looked at the book of Ephesians at two of the beautiful pictures that Paul paints of the church. One, that the church is Jesus' body. Jesus is the head of the church, and the church is the body of Jesus. And then the second picture, which we looked at last week, is that the church is God's building, or that the church is God's new temple. the, The word church in the New Testament never refers to a physical building. The church, instead, is the people that God has rescued through Jesus. But what we looked at last week is that those rescued people are God's building. Those saved sinners that God unites to Jesus and to each other, those people are God's new temple. The cornerstone of that temple in the picture is Jesus Christ. The foundation is the apostles and prophets, and we are the structure of the building. We are the part that is above ground. And visible. See, God is building something today. He is building a place to dwell in, a place where he can live with his people and where they can live with him. The church is God's new temple. It is the place on earth above all other places where God wants to dwell. And because of that, there's not a single place on earth you should rather be right here, right now, than in the gathered church of God. Why? Because God is here. God is in our midst. All that we do, we do before the face of God. Now, as we near the end of this uh, little mini-series, we come to our third and final question, which is what is the mission of the church? Okay, what does Jesus, the head of the church, want his body to be doing? Okay, now, we could say that at the broadest level, the church's mission is to glorify God, okay, which is to say to magnify God, to honor God, to worship God, to make God known, to make God famous, all of these things. We could, okay? After all, this is, this is actually the mission of all creation. Okay, so we could say it's the church's mission to glorify God, like Romans 11, Paul says, for from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. All creation is called to that mission, to glorify God. That is true for the angels that God has made. That is true for the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, every animal on earth, every human being that God has made. We're all called to that Mission And the church is no exception to that. That's our mission, too, to glorify God. We're to do all that we do for the sake of his name. Think of the psalmist who says, Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory. Yet that, that broader mission, which is true for all creation, that's not going to be our focus today. I want to move down one level from there, from that broader call to the specific mission of the church. Okay. What is Christ's specific call to his body, to the church? Why does the church exist? What is the unique mission of the church? Okay, so let's suppose, for example, that you had to put together a one-line answer to that to put on the bulletin (laughs) of the church, okay? One line, why does this church exist? What is its mission? What would you say? How would you summarize that? Now, perhaps you don't realize this, but we actually put a shortened form of our church's mission statement on the front of every bulletin that we have printed here for the last five years. Okay. Did you know that okay. you can scramble for your bulletin because you might know that I'm about to ask if you know what it is. Okay. Okay. Do you see what it says right under Richfield Bible Church on the front page? It says, "Following Christ together and making followers of Christ." Okay, that is the shorter form in our founding documents. It said this way: the mission of Richfield Bible Church is to follow Christ together and to make followers of Christ. This is the call of Christ to us. This is not Christ's call to the angels or to the rest of creation. This is the call of Christ to the church. This is the mission of this church. We are here to follow Christ together and to make new followers of Christ. And what I want to focus on today is the first half of that statement. I want to look for that, the call to follow Jesus together throughout the Gospel of Matthew. And then the next sermon I do, we'll look at the second half of that statement, again through the Gospel of Matthew. So as we walk through Matthew's Gospel today, look specifically for that single theme, the call to follow Jesus together. So turn with me, first book in the New Testament, Gospel of Matthew, and we're going to pick up in chapter 4, Matthew chapter 4. Now by this point, the fourth chapter, Jesus is already 30 years old. So Matthew does tell us about the birth of Jesus, and tells us about the attacks on his life when he was a child, but by chapter 4, he's already about 30 years old, and Jesus has just begun his public ministry. He's began to preach publicly the message, repent, because the kingdom of heaven is near. Like the king has arrived. Now look at Matthew 4, verse 18. Because Jesus does more than just preach. Matthew 4, 18. The beginning of his ministry, he starts to do this. (laughs) Matthew 4, 18. While walking by the Sea of Galilee... Jesus saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately, they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, Jesus saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, In the boat was Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them. And immediately, they left the boat and their father and followed him. Now, on the one hand, Jesus' call to all people is to repent, to turn away from your sin, from other gods, from yourself, and to turn to God, to turn to Jesus. But here at the outset of Jesus' ministry, we also see a specific call from Jesus to two sets of brothers, and that call is the call, follow me. And that call from Jesus is still his specific call to us today. More than anything else, we are called by Jesus to follow him. But what does it mean to follow him? What does that look like? It may look different for different people in different circumstances, but for these four men, at least, it meant a dramatic change in their occupation, in their identity, in their life's direction. I mean, these guys were fishermen. I don't think that was a stepping stone to something else. Like, this is what they had done. This is what they were going to keep doing. <clears throat> but Jesus wanted to make them something new. I'm sure they had plans for their lives, but Jesus had plans for their lives. And it was to make them fishers of men. These guys were from small village town. They were known in that town for certain things. They were known by their job. They were known by their family connections. From now on, they would be known by something else. They were the men who belonged to that guy. They were Jesus' disciples. Their identity from that point on would always be bound up in him. Jesus' call to them was life-altering, but with both sets of brothers, Matthew says, immediately they left their former lives behind, and they got behind him, they followed him. Now that's how Matthew, the writer, describes what happened to his close friends. He knew these guys. But I also want to look at how Matthew describes what happened to himself, because he tells us about that in the Gospel too. So you could look at Matthew chapter 9, verse 9. This is Matthew telling the story about his own experience. Matthew 9 verse 9 says, as Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew, sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. Again, it's Jesus who sees the man. And in this case, the man he sees is a tax collector, and he's actually still on the job, because the text says he's sitting at the tax booth, like he's doing the stuff. He's a Jewish man, but everyone knows he's working for the Romans. He's the kind of guy who would be viewed as a sellout by most of his people. He was not a guy who was not well-known. He was a guy who was well-known in his community. He was known and despised. And yet Jesus says the very same thing to this man, that he said to those other guys, follow me. And what does Matthew do? He rose and followed him, leaves the tax booth behind, gets behind Jesus, his life will never be the same. I'm sure he had plans for his life. It took a lot to get the job that he had. But Jesus had different plans for him. Those are just two of the scenes where Jesus calls people to follow him. But now I want to look at two other scenes in the Gospel of Matthew that help us understand more of what it means to get behind Jesus. Look at Matthew 8, so just back a chapter, (laughs) look at a different scene. Matthew 8, look at verse 18. Matthew 8, 18. Now when Jesus saw a crowd around him, he gave orders to go over to the other side. And a scribe came up to him and said, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes, the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Another of the disciples said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, Follow me, and let the dead bury their dead. Now, what do you think about those stories? Here you have two guys who are already interested In Jesus. Like, they're already called disciples. So they tell Jesus they want to follow him. And what does Jesus do? Of course, Jesus says, that's so great to hear. What a blessing. You're going to be really thankful you made that decision. Isn't it interesting that Jesus strongly pushes back on both of them? He wants them to understand exactly what it means to follow him. It's like Jesus says in response to them, it is easy for you to say that, that you want to follow me. But do you really understand what it means? Do you know what it will cost? And what is Jesus communicating about following him in those two accounts? Following him may, may very well cost you your earthly comfort and security. Right? Foxes have holes. Birds have nests. I've got nowhere to lay my head. You really want to get with me? Get behind me? And following him demands an allegiance to him that exceeds your allegiance to your own family. Follow me. Leave the dead to bury their own dead. Now, the second scene I want you to look at is two chapters later, Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10, this is especially to Jesus' 12 committed followers. This is more or less Jesus' pep talk to them before he sends them out on like a trial mission, their short-term mission trip. Jesus wants these guys to understand before they go out there what it's going to be like to minister for him in the world. And listen to what he tells them. Starting in Matthew chapter 10, verse 34. He says, Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I haven't come to bring peace but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. And whoever loves father or mother more than me isn't worthy of me. Whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Now, how's that for a pep talk, you know, from the coach before the big game? Don't be surprised. Jesus says, my message will be a dividing line. It'll cause lines to be drawn, even between your own family members. That's what following me may cost. But he doesn't stop there. He applies it directly to the disciples. If you love your father or mother more than me, you aren't worthy of me. If you aren't willing to pick up a cross and get behind me, you are not worthy of me. See, according to Jesus, the cost of following him is what? It's life itself. It's everything. Family. Your hopes for honor in this age. Your comfort, even life itself. And there's no way this wasn't what Jesus meant when he began to talk about the cross, about picking up a cross, because the cross only meant one thing at this time. It was an instrument of death. The cost of following Jesus is steep, and Jesus never makes apologies for it. At the same time, Jesus was not a man who only focused on the cost. Woven throughout the teaching of Jesus is not just the cost of following him, but it's also the reward. The cost is steep, but the reward, when you look at the text, is staggering. And I want, I want to look at that. To see it, you can look at just the next verse. Matthew 10, 39. See, 10, 38 Pick up a cross and get behind me. 1039, whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. According to Jesus, those who try to save their own lives will lose them. But those who give up their claims on their own lives for him will find true life. But that's far from the only thing Jesus said about the reward of following him. He regularly brings this up. Just think back, for example, to the text that was read by Dan just a little bit ago from the Sermon on the Mount. The very first message of Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew. It says things like this. Blessed are the poor in spirit. those Those who know they don't have what it takes. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Why? For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Or how about, blessed are the meek The lowly. Why? Because they will inherit the earth. Or blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Why? Because theirs is the kingdom of heaven. But let's not stop there. Let's look at another scene on this. Turn to Matthew chapter 19. Matthew chapter 19. There's probably a story in this chapter that you're, familiar with. Matthew 19, Matthew tells the story of a rich young man who came to Jesus wanting some help from Jesus. He seems to want to follow Jesus. Maybe you've heard the story. Do you remember how it ends? It ends with the rich young man walking away from Jesus with great sorrow. Why? because he was not willing to give up his wealth for Jesus. He just couldn't let it go. But what I want to focus on is not that story itself, but what happens right after that story. Listen to what Peter says after the story. But even more, listen to what Jesus says in response to Peter. So Matthew 19, verse 27. Then Peter said in reply, after seeing this, okay, look, see, we have left everything and followed you. What then will we have? And Jesus said to them, truly I say to you in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. That's right, specifically to the apostles. But then look at what he says after. That. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. You see, Jesus' call to his people is to follow him. This is our mission. Jesus does not hide the cost of it nor does he apologize for the cost. He wants us to know the cost, that it is great. But Jesus does not remain silent about the reward either. The cost is great, but Jesus always says the reward is greater. Jesus says there's no one who loses their house or their family or their land for him who will not receive a hundredfold and in the end, eternal life. Now, I want to pause there, and I want to think about that comment. He talks about the possibility of losing brother or sister, dad or mom, or kids for Jesus. But he also talks about the promise of gaining back a hundredfold. What do you think Jesus has in mind? The possibility of losing your brothers and sisters, but of gaining a hundredfold. This is one of the places in the Gospel of Matthew where it becomes very clear that even though Jesus calls each of us personally and individually, Jesus never envisioned that we would go on to follow him in isolation. Jesus intended from the very beginning to create a new family. Jesus knew that following him may cost you your brothers or sisters, but he also assured us that following him would lead you to have many, many more than you ever would have had. Jesus was not calling people into isolation when he called them. He was creating a new community. And even in the initial call, Jesus did not call just one person as his disciple. He did not call the one. He called the 12. But that call was only the beginning of what Jesus wanted to do. Through the 12, Jesus would begin to build something new. A new family of followers bound together by him. And for a few examples of this, again, just think back to the Sermon on the Mount, just to see how Matthew talks about this, or Jesus talks about this in Matthew. Think back to the Sermon on the Mount, again, the text that was read earlier today. That sermon, though certainly you read it and you think, I need to respond to that individually, you know, to what Jesus says. That sermon is not primarily about individuals. Instead, Jesus is laying out his vision in the Sermon on the Mount, for what? For the community of people that he's going to save (laughs) through his death and resurrection. That's why everything's in the plural in, in in that text. Like when he says things like, you are the salt of the earth. Like it's not like you singular, you know what I mean? It's like, you all are the salt of the earth. You all are the light of the world. We are the city set on a hill. Jesus says to us together, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. But it's not just in the sermon that we see this is Jesus' vision of a new community. You could could think of Matthew chapter 16. And and you could go there to Matthew 16. You you might, again, know this story. (laughs) This is where Peter actually answers a question right. Like, you know, it might be like the only time in, in Matthew. Jesus asks the question Who do you say that I am? And what does Peter say? Kind of surprises us, right? He confesses the right thing. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And what does Jesus say in response? This is Matthew 16, verse 18. I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Jesus' intent was not to build disconnected individuals. Jesus' promise is to build his church, a new community, a new family of followers, a church against which even the gates of hell would not prevail. And if you want to see the kind of commitment that Jesus wanted there to be in the new community, you could look two chapters later at Matthew 18. (laughs) Matthew 18, verses 15 to 20. Listen to Jesus' words about the kind of community he was setting out to create. Matthew 18, verse 15. He says, if your brother sins against you, this is going to be family, if your brother sins against you, you go and you tell him his fault between you and him alone. And if he listens to you, you've gained your brother. But if he doesn't listen... Take one or two of the other people that are connected to you so that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. And if he refuses to listen even to them, then tell it to the church. And if he refuses even to listen to the the church, then let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, I am there among them. Now, there's a lot more there than we can dive into today, but but my hope is you can see or sense the kind of family that Jesus died and rose to create. Jesus never saves anyone to leave them on their own. He unites us to himself as head, but to each other as the body, so that we can follow him together. That's why we exist as a church, to follow Christ together. That's the first half of our mission statement. And, and what I wanted you to see is that it's rooted directly in the teaching of Jesus and the vision of Jesus. The next time I'll preach on the second half of of the vision statement. But what I want to do to close today is I actually, I've been trying to like get us to think of these different scenes. And what I want to do to close is I just want to let Jesus paint one more scene of a day still in front of us. And I want you to think about this from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25. (laughs) In this chapter, Jesus is talking about the final judgment, the day when he comes in glory and sits on the throne to judge. And in this story about that future day, Jesus says that he will separate those who followed him from those who didn't. And what I want us to think about is what Jesus says that he will say to both groups on that day. I'll start with what he'll say to those who wouldn't follow him, who wouldn't listen to the call. Matthew 25, verse 41. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Those words are hard to hear, but they're important to hear because throughout the Gospel of Matthew, the call of Jesus is always, come, come, follow me. But for those who reject Jesus' call to come in this age, Jesus will say to them on that day, Depart. Depart from me. That is as sobering and as serious as anything you see in the Bible. But I don't want to end there. Today has been about Jesus' call on us to follow him together. And most of us are here today because we've said yes to the call. Because I want to read... What Jesus says, he will say on that same day. Matthew 25, verse 34. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty, you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. to one of the least of these my brothers. You did that to me. Now, throughout the Gospel of Matthew, the call of Jesus is always come. Come and follow me. And this text tells us that for those who see Jesus as the greatest treasure and who say yes to the call, Do you know what they'll hear from Jesus on the last day? They'll hear him say one more time, come and follow me. Come. Inherit the kingdom that God has prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Why are we here as a church? We are here to follow Christ together. For how long? Until when? Until that day when he says once more, come and follow me. Let's pray. Father, would you take these words from our Lord Jesus and would you renew our commitment to follow Jesus our commitment as a church to follow Jesus together. And I pray that you would even encourage us with that scene of that final day when we're invited to come and enjoy the kingdom that you've prepared from the foundation of the world for us. Lord, we know that we don't deserve any of this. Yet, thank you for opening our eyes to see your glory in the face of Jesus. Help us to keep our eyes on him and to follow him together. We pray this in his name. Amen.